Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Antioch Church. We have just finished a teaching series on the Trinity, and the next four weeks we're doing a teaching series based on our church identity, almost like a blueprint, if you will. This Sunday we're going over our name as a church. Following Sunday we're looking at mission, then we're looking at vision the Sunday after that, and then finally our values. It's really important to have a map whenever we go anywhere. And it's very, very important if we have been given a mission to understand what that mission is. Just as if you have registered for your classes at Wheaton, you really need to know where your classes are, what course you're doing, what the homework is, etc., to be able to be a success. And so it is with church. We are no different. We have been given the most important mission of all by God, which is to uh, make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, it's really helpful to us to understand our identity and who God has called us to be here in our local church as we meet in Wheaton. I'm going to open up today with prayer and I'm going to be working through the Bible as well. So get your Bibles ready or open up your mobile apps and I will pray now. Father God, thank you that you have called us by name. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for those listening online. Lord, names are so important. Lord, we know that your name, as Jesus, means God saves. We know that when you were prophesied about, that it was Emmanuel was one of your names, which means God with us. Father, you attribute great importance to names. Help us to be a church that does the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's no secret that as a church, we're moving our name from Antioch Community Church, Wheaton, to Antioch Church, Chicago. I'm going to talk some more about that towards the end of my message. But I want to first start off with a biblical precedent, looking at the importance of a name. Now, throughout the Bible, there's lots of different names which carry tremendous meaning. Think of just the child dedications we did even a couple of weeks ago. Names are very, very carefully chosen by parents. They carry great meaning. Well, I want to be looking today at how names can change or evolve for mission. Pretty much any name you read in the Bible has a significant reason behind it. But we'll be specifically looking at the evolution of a name for mission. First look at the Old Testament, a character there. Then we'll be looking at the New Testament. So first let's look at the Old Testament. Get out your Bibles, please. We're going to open up to Genesis 12. We're going to read from verses 1 to 3. It's Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Before I read the text, this is the foundational covenant that God makes with man. He's promising here to bless all of the world through Abraham. And it's through this covenant with Abraham that uh, we find out about the covenant that we have with Jesus. So Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And here's his promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was asking Abraham to make a tremendous sacrifice. By asking Abraham to go from your country, your people, and your father's household was a huge asking. In our day and age, it's very easy to move from state to state or from one country to another country and keep in touch with family and loved ones to keep our economical position, able to take our riches with us, and even to keep some of our social standing. But what God was asking Abraham to do, Abraham to do was to get rid of all of his economical standing his social standing, and believe, uh, leave the very most precious things behind, which is his people and his father's household. And he's asking Abraham to set off on a journey. He's not even specifically saying where yet, other than go, and I'm going to lead you. And because of this, because of your following me, I will bless all the peoples of the earth through you. So he's calling Abraham to a very, very significant, very specific mission. And we see further on how God changes Abraham's name, which originally means exalted father, to Abraham. We pick up in Genesis 17, verses 3 to 6. It says, Abraham fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you. So Abraham means father of many. So God, as he has changed Abraham's mission, he changes his name too. And we'll see throughout the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament, when God makes a covenant with someone, he often needs to repeat it and remind them of it. So he made the call to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he's reminding him of that covenant here as we pick up in Genesis 17. So Abraham's name has evolved specifically for the sake of mission. And the mission God is calling Abraham to is to... Uh, forgo all security, forgo everything that was familiar, forgo everything that he has put his trust in and put his complete trust in God too. Now Abraham's not the only one in the Old Testament, but he's the only one we'll be looking at today whose name evolved for mission. I'd now like to move to the New Testament as we look at the case of Peter becoming, uh, Simon becoming Peter. Pick up the text at Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. So Matthew was the disciple who was the uh, tax collector Zacchaeus, and he followed Jesus and wrote this biography of him. And I'm going to pick up the text. The context is... Uh, Disciples have been following Christ, and lots of different people have interpretations about who Jesus is. And very specifically, 
Jesus asked the question to Peter, who do you say I am? And we'll see how his name changes because of it. So Matthew 16 verses 13 to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Quick bit of explanation in relation to this text. His name is Simon, and he's actually the son of Jonah. That's his identity. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see Simon, son of Jonah, referred to as Simon Peter by the writer, just so there isn't any uh, confusion as to who he is. But then Peter, specifically in verse 18, Jesus is saying, And I tell you that you are Peter. And his name is changing to Peter because Christ says, On this rock I will build my church. So Peter means rock. Originally his name Simon meant to hear. So we see how that has evolved. The name also, when God gives a name for mission, it speaks about the potential for what is to come. This wasn't the first time Simon, son of Jonah, had been told that he would be called Peter. In fact, in John's Gospel, when he very first met Jesus, when he was brought uh, to Jesus by his brother Andrew, Jesus immediately tells him that you will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. So John 1 verse 42, if you want to follow in the Bible with me, it says, uh, And he, as in Andrew, brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. Maybe saying Simon son of Jonah or Simon son of John, which one is it? Both. Uh, the dad was known by both names. But specifically here, Jesus has met him, showing his authority by calling out a new name in him and calling out the potential of what he could be. So Abraham evolves from evolves to Abraham for mission. Simon, Jesus, changes his name to Peter, letting him know that you will be the rock on which I'll build the church. The most famous conversion that we have in the New Testament, or one that people most know about, is the conversion of Saul and having his name uh, evolving to Paul. And again, as with Abraham and Simon, son of Jonah, or Simon, son of John, it evolves specifically in relation to the mission God has called them to. I'm going to read the account of Saul's conversion. It's Acts 9, verses 1 to 19. 
And as I read this text to you and as you follow along, listen out for the sheer depths of waywardness that Saul used to live like. Whenever I hear the account of the conversion of Saul, I am deeply encouraged that nothing in our past can stop God's purposes for us. Like our darkest day, uh, in the light of God's forgiveness and in the light of mission which we're called to, uh, no darkness uh, can overcome the light. So if you ever one of those people like me that sometimes thinks, but yeah, but what about that? Can God forgive that from my past? Listen out for what God forgives Saul for. And know that there's more forgiveness in Christ than there is sin in me, sin in you, sin in Saul, and sin in the world. Verse 1, Acts, 19, uh, Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples, in, with the disciples in Damascus. You might be thinking, like, there's a dramatic conversion here, but when does Saul become Paul? Well, the mission that he has been given is he, uh, by Jesus, this is in verse uh, 15 we see, says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, and to the people of Israel. 
Saul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, who put it upon himself to persecute Christians who he thought were an affront to the God of Israel, has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And Jesus then sets him on a mission to preach that Christ is the Lord and to help that mission spread by preaching it to the Gentiles. His name actually changes to Paul in the context of the Gentile world. So it's almost like my name here is Andy. If I were to live in France, I'd probably be called Andre. It's the same with Saul. Uh, in Hebrew-speaking countries, his name is Saul, but in the Greco-Roman Empire, translation of his name is Paul. And so he changes his name to Paul once he begins his mission. So again, we see how name evolves for the purpose of mission. The only place you actually see the name transfer from being Saul early on in Acts, which is a history of the church, to Paul later on is in Acts 13. It's a very uh, small uh, transition. It happens as Paul is, or Saul is rebuking a sorcerer who is opposed to the work of Christ. And we see his name just change in verse 9. The, the writer, Luke, just changes it very quickly. So here we go, verse 8, Acts 13, verse 8 through to 10. Says, but Elymas the sorcerer, for this is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight to Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Did you see it there in verse 9? Then Saul, who was also called Paul. And from that point on, he is known as Paul throughout the book of Acts and also through the letters in the New Testament. You can see the importance of a name. See the importance of a name for mission and how God evolves it. The Old Testament example is Abraham to Abraham. Then we look at Simon, son of John, or Simon, son of Jonah. His name changing to Peter, which means rock. And then Saul changing his name to Paul so that he is able to minister to the Gentiles. Now, in each of these instances, the people who have gone on mission have moved from something that they're very familiar with, the old identity, the old way of life, to making a great sacrifice for the sake of others. So Abraham left everything. Uh, Simon left his job immediately, his livelihood, as he went uh, from fishing to following Christ, where he's going to fish for people. The same with Saul, had this great uh, social standing as a, a very prominent Pharisee and then giving that all in to them and leaving everything that's familiar to preach the gospel outside uh, to the Greco-Roman Empire. What would cause this to be worthwhile? Well, it's, it's for salvation. To think when God first comes into your life, remember when I came to faith, my idea before I came to faith was that God is possibly someone that just wants to stop all of the fun that I'm having in my life and then if I get into become a Christian there'll just be lots of rules and regulations the reality is when God comes into your life yes he does change uh, 
the old you to the new you. Your character stays the same. Uh, your personality largely stays the same. So your characteristics can stay the same. But there is a, a, a changing from the inside out as you become more like who God designed for you to be. And that looks like more of your identity in Christ. And at the time, as you think through giving up certain things which are uh, unhelpful and ungodly, which could cause temporary pleasure, it seems like a, a big sacrifice to make. But once you know the pleasure that you can have living the life God wants for you, once you know the pleasure you can have serving people, once you know the, the value of being on mission for God, those sacrifices and leaving behind the familiar things becomes incredibly worthwhile. So the importance of a name, uh, it can evolve for mission. The importance of a name I want us to consider now uh, as it relates to salvation coming from mission. So it's all worth it. The mission is always for salvation. It's always worth it. John 20 verses 30 to 31. This is one of the disciples explaining why they wrote the book, uh, the account of Jesus, which we now know as the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verse 31, 30 and 31 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole purpose of the gospel is that uh, the readers may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that means chosen one, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. See how important name is there for salvation as well. That Jesus, which means God saves, is only through Jesus, through him, that we can have salvation. Uh, it's as we sometimes think we're moving from security and familiarity to sacrifice uh, for the sake of mission. I'd like to reframe that. It's not always security that we're moving from. We're moving towards eternal security. We're moving towards eternal security. We're on that path that we've been set on ourselves. We're also helping others know about the eternal security, the salvation that there is in Christ. So uh, Jesus speaks to his disciples at a certain point as they're carrying out the ministry and they're rejoicing at the power and authority Jesus has, Jesus has given them. The same power and authority which he gives his followers that we see at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew. But he says to them specifically in Luke 10 verse 20. He says, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So names important for mission, names also important for salvation. It's through Jesus only that we have salvation. And if there's anything to delight about on this side uh, of meeting Christ, it is that our names are written in heaven. Uh, elsewhere, that's called the book of life. We see in Revelation 21, 27, it says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, as in heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those names were written in the Lamb's book of life. So salvation is represented by a name being written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And the other side of the good news of that is that those who have not heard of the name of Jesus, those that do not know that salvation is in his name, uh, their names are not in the book of life. Revelation 20, 15 says this, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, as you look at those texts and we're aware that some names are in the book of life and some names are not, often ask the question, well, what's the point of mission? What's the point of sharing news? The way I look at it is, uh, from a personal perspective, I don't know whose names are not in the book of life. But I do know that all the names, all the uh, chairs uh, in the book of life, not all the chairs have been taken. And so I'm going to sh live my life to share the gospel with people. I'd much rather go for the spray and pray approach of sharing the good news of Jesus and leaving the, the rest up to him versus trying to very, very carefully and unrealistically discern if someone's name is in the book of life and then only then will I share the gospel with them. When I first came to faith, I remember the utter joy of knowing that God loved me, the utter joy of knowing that I was fully forgiven, the utter joy of knowing that there was great purpose in life, that my life was not a mistake, but there could also be great purpose in sharing the good news of God with others. But as I came to faith, I was also acutely aware of, why have I never heard this before? I'm 26 years old and I have not heard the gospel before. And I later, as I've uh, been a Christian and a pastor people, later found out two reasons why I may not have heard the gospel before. Uh, one of them was that people may not have wanted to say something offensive to me. Honestly, as a non-believer, I'd much rather hear the truth and the good news that Jesus saves than uh, be saved from an awkward conversation. I'd much rather be a saved from eternal punishment. Uh, so that's a fallacy. So if ever we're thinking, let's avoid an awkward conversation, let's just not really go there. Uh, we really don't understand the beauty of heaven and we really do not understand the destruction of hell. Secondly, I also found out that I might not have heard the gospel because as a drug addict and someone who had different addictions who, who'd never gone to church, that I was probably considered uh, unclean. Now no one actually says that in church, but we'll often preach it from the front or we will often have that mindset and it is uh, the world out there is dangerous and we need to protect ourselves from the world. And so if we hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, we won't be evil. However, what about all those people living in the grips of an evil and fallen world who do need to hear the good news? I am grateful for my friend Henry who thought that the contamination was worth it. Speaking to Andy at church, uh, regardless of what people may have thought he was interested in buying drugs or whatever, uh, he gave me that opportunity to hear the gospel. And friends, the contamination for us is worth it, just as it was worth it for Jesus. He went out and shared the good news with tax collectors, with beggars. He put his hands on lepers. Uh, he befriended prostitutes. And he was criticized and considered publicly contaminated because of it. But it was always worth it when salvation is at stake. So my encouragement to us is, yet yeah, we may not know whose name is in the book of life. 
it may sometimes cause an awkward conversation. And sometimes if we're in the world, some holier-than-thou Christians may think that we're being contaminated by the world. But we're not. The call by Christ is very clear. Be in the world, but not of the world. And make disciples of all nations. So friends, I've gone through so far the importance of a name. The importance of a name for mission and the importance of a name for salvation. And the mission is always, always, always worth it. How this relates to us as a church. Our name is evolving from Antioch Community Church to Antioch Church. We're going to keep the name Antioch. Antioch is the place, uh, the place where Christians were first known as Christians. Antioch was a place where there was a lot of uh, racial tensions. Uh, the Christians and the church there modelled unity. For 18 months they're being discipled by Paul. And let me just check. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're being discipled for a year there and being taught about Christ and had distinctive lifestyles. And outsiders said, that's where the Christ followers are. Those are Christ followers. And so the name Antioch, definitely going to keep. One, it's a good name because people were living a distinctive faith. Two, we're part of the Antioch church planting movement. Uh, we're keeping church because we are still a church. That means on Sundays we meet, and as people drive past the church on Sunday, they see cars gathered there. We are being a prophetic announcement that there is something highly worthwhile to do to start your week off. Uh, equally, uh, we are keeping, uh, sorry, we're Antioch Church, we're getting rid of community. The reason being, when the name community is in a church, it typically means that this is a church that is going to have very deep roots in a community, uh, deep to the extent that we are going to try as much as possible to help with different social causes and partner with lots of different uh, local, whether Christian or not, ministries to help uh, raise the standard of living locally. That's an incredibly worthwhile mission that some churches do. The theory behind it is that uh, you do good works to create goodwill, and through that goodwill you then get the opportunity to share good news. Part of our church DNA as a missional and church planting movement is that we do not have tons of resources through which to make a big difference locally. And as you know, in Wheaton, there are a lot of churches here, also a lot of very big churches around us that have very strong community impact departments, and they have community in their name as well. To be a fair representation of who we are, we're a missional organization that plants churches, and our church here has planted churches in Florida, in Colorado, and also in India. It's just much more accurate representation of who we are to call ourselves Antioch Church instead of Antioch Community Church. What that means on a practical basis is our legal name is Antioch Church. But as I did today, we'll be saying welcome to Antioch. In normal conversation, nothing will change. Even though we were called Antioch Community Church, we'll just refer to ourselves as Antioch. Within the movement, so as other churches within the Antioch church planting movement refer to us, we will be known as Antioch Chicago. We used to be known as Antioch Wheaton. We will now be known as Antioch Chicago. That second part of the change is really important for mission. As a church, 
uh, we have had a calling to Wheaton for the last two pastoral chapters. The challenge of having Wheaton uh, as part of our identity is it can limit our view, can limit the view of the mission field. And I strongly feel, having spoken to people that planted this church, having uh, got advice from different leaders within the movement and within our congregation, that God has called us to reach greater Chicago with the gospel. And so we're going to have it just referred to as Chicago internally. That means uh, so many of us don't actually live in Wheaton. We've got people from Aurora, people from Naperville, people from Glen Ellen, some people from St. Charles, some people from Oswego. Wherever you are, God is calling you on mission. Your house and your neighbours are not an accident. They are who you're on mission to. Wherever we have life groups, uh, that's where we two uh, or more people, sorry, three or more people study the Bible together. Where you have those, their location of them, is not an accident either. We are a church on mission wherever we are, and our mission field is so much greater than Wheaton. Now, it's not to say that a mistake was made historically. It is to say that uh, we want to honour the past, but not be shackled by the past. And so Antioch Church Chicago is a better representation of who we are, terms of the ministries we offer and our priorities and it's also a better reflection of the mission that we have ahead. Now I know this is no longer familiar, we're entering into new territory. I know uh, that some of us are very very fond with Antioch Community Church. What I've heard about Antioch Community Church is that people were most fond with the actual sense of community within the church and friends that still exists. People were most fond when they were on mission as a group of people. And the evolution of our name manages, uh, enables us to prioritize that mission. So all the things you loved about Antioch Community Church Wheaton will still be here, namely the people and the mission, but we'll have an increased focus on them. Uh, what we'll be doing, as I know there'll be a lot of questions in relation to this name change, is two Sundays time. So that will be the, I think Sunday the 23rd. I'll have a question and answer session after that Sunday's message. I'm giving a couple of weeks just to let it sit with you. Here's why. I'd love you to hear Drew's message next week on mission, uh, related to the mission of the Antioch movement as a whole. So Drew is our executive pastor. He's coming up from Waco, Texas to visit with us. And he's also going to talk about how our identity as individuals, as a church, needs to be based on mission as well. So I'd love you to hear how the name change aligns with better with the greater mission of the Antioch movement, as well as it aligns better with our mission as a local church. Friends, that's it from me. Uh, what, what I'd like to leave you with is the sense of urgency to mission. Obviously, we know that a name change is important for a mission. We also know that mission is important for salvation. Uh, people's eternal destiny is at stake. And whereas we don't want to rush uh, being missional, we don't want to uh, be an elephant in a china shop in sharing the gospel, it still needs to be front and center of our very identity too. I'm going to share with you the story of D.L. Moody and his lost opportunity. So we obviously have the Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago, a very famous uh, 
resident of Chicago, is moody. And here's what he said his greatest regret was. His greatest regret was not sharing Christ with people and asking them to come to a decision on the spot. The story instead was how he shared Christ with people. And Christ is who is God saves. It's the mission. He gave them a week instead to decide. And the great fire of Chicago came in between and burnt his church down. So here we go. I'll read this to you. Uh, it's about D.L. Moody's Lost Opportunity. October the 8th, 1871. Uh, preacher Dwight L. Moody was drawing his sermon to a close in a large church in Chicago. His message that night was, what will we do with Jesus, which is called Christ? See how the name's important there. Instead of praying the prayer of salvation with many, he instructed them to take this new knowledge home, turn it over in their minds, then return the next Sabbath day to decide what to do with Jesus, who is called Christ. He turned to the soloist who came up and began to sing a song to close the evening. The song began like this. Today the Saviour calls for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls and death is nigh. Story goes that the soloists never finished the song, for outside the church a great clamour of bells and the rush of fire engines cut the worship off. And so began the great Chicago fire, which destroyed the very church that Moody preached his sermon from that night, along with 3.3 square miles of Chicago. And at least 300 people died in that fire. And on uh, his dying day, Moody referred to this decision to tell the people to wait before accepting Christ as his biggest blunder. He said this, But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night which I have never forgotten, and that is, when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there to try and bring them to a decision on the spot, I'd rather have that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. Friends, uh, it's even Moody himself said there is an urgency to sharing Christ with people and having shared Christ with people to lead them into a saving relationship with him. Thank you for your uh, patience and grace as we have changed the name. Uh, pragmatically, that will look like the end of September. We'll be rolling out a new web page uh, based on our name and which is a better reflection of our relationship to the Antioch movement, a better reflection of our life groups and who we now are as a church and our leadership team. Also look like our name will be changed on bulletins, which will be uh, initiated in October, which will be the notes you can a place where you can take notes to listen to the sermon on. It will also have our name, our mission, our uh, vision and our values on there as well. As things stand, we'll still be Antioch. Welcome to Antioch. Uh, the only other thing that will change is anything that's signage outside that says Antioch Community Church will change to Antioch Church. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your commitment to mission. Thank you for weathering the storm that's been happening in 2018. I want you to know that we are charting a course on true north. And as we chart this course on true north, we need to understand our identity as a church. We've understood God's identity as a trinity. And as we head out on mission, a noble mission, which is to reach people, to reach the nations for Christ, friends, you will not regret being on mission. 
will not regret having uh, a blueprint of a church to guide us where to go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for each person here. Thank you that you've called each one of us by name. Lord, help us if we have put our faith and trust in you not to take that for granted, to realize there are so many other people whose names are likely in the book of life that yet haven't heard the gospel. And our job is not to say whether it's fair. Our job is not to second guess uh, your uh, choice of names in the book of life. You've given us the clear command of go and make disciples of all nations. So help us as a church to continue uh, in the heritage which we have had, Lord, in this congregation. Planning churches in India, planning churches in Colorado and Florida. And help increase our vision and our missional mindset. That not just are we impacting Wheaton, where we gather on a Sunday, but we are called to mission and to reach the greater Chicagoland area too. In Jesus' name, Amen.